The Daily Rios Digest, January 30th, 2022. Mailbag Monday. A look at the books that I got from DCBS. These books shipped mostly in December of 2021 and in January of the new year. My books are now being shipped mid-month, so I assume I'll start to get, you know, um, a handful from one month and a handful, handful from another. So I got 25 comics, all comics, no trades, no collections, no magazines, just 25 comics. That was kind of an unusual package. And mostly all from DC, except for Phenomics number three or Phenomics number three from Image Comics. That's the John Leguizamo book. And then um, the two others I'll start with here. We got Cursed Pirate Girl, The Devil's Cave from Boom Studios and Ar- and Archaea. This is by Jeremy Bastian, an artist out of based out of Michigan, I believe. And if you don't know Cursed Pirate Girl, there are only a handful of issues. I think there was an initial three-issue miniseries, an annual, and uh, maybe some collections and some ash cans here and there. Um, it is beautiful to look at. It looks like you you are looking at etchings on the page. It's got hyper detail. And it's uh, just a beautiful fairy tale-like story. Uh, wonderful to read. Just really just excited that I'm able to read another Cursed Pirate Girl book. Um, I have to imagine if you like J.H. Williams on Echo Lands and, and all of that line work and detail work, this might be something you might like. It's not exactly the same, but um, in terms of how much information is on the page, yeah, it's kind of the same. So, uh, Curse Pirate Girl, uh, look it up online if you have if you don't know anything about it. It's just stunning. From Marvel, I have my hands on the Timeless One Shot. Uh, you know, they're talking about this being the future of Marvel, the future of Marvel Comics. Um, I'm looking forward to reading it once I read once I finish the Kang the Conqueror Origin miniseries. It's a totally different creative team. But um, I have to imagine there, there probably is going to be some kind of tie-in here and there. And you know me, I got to read things in order. And of course, there is that last page reveal that if you haven't uh, read about it just yet, you know, you can find that information online. So that's all the non-DC stuff. And then the rest of the stuff is all DC. I'm just going to talk about a few things here. I got Nightwing 88. Uh, Nightwing 87 and 88 and some variant covers. 88 is notable because this is Bruno Redondo redesigning or maybe retro designing a new costume for Nightwing, which has elements of some of the, oh, some of the Scott McDaniel stuff, I guess you could say, going all the way back to, to Scott McDaniel or whoever it was that, maybe it wasn't Scott McDaniel, who created this um, look because Nightwing did have a four-issue miniseries before his run 
and that's where he got his new costume. So now I have to look that up. I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to pause it right here and look that up because I can't believe that I don't remember. Okay, I'm back. So that that miniseries from 1995, written by Denny O'Neill, penciler Greg Land. Wow, I don't remember that at all. So is Greg responsible for that costume? I'm going to have to do a little more research, or if somebody knows out there, you can email me. Oh, hey, I'm back again. So this is a cut. I don't think I've ever done this in a, a digest to this point. I did a little more research because I just couldn't accept that Greg Land was the costume designer for that original Nightwing costume. It uh, The credit should go to Brian Stelfreeze. Brian is the one who created that um, uh, that new costume uh, for Nightwing for the four-issue miniseries and then the one that he wore during his series in the 90s. And you can uh, go online and you can find uh, sketches of that. Brian Stelfreeze was the cover artist for issues one, two, and three, I believe, of that Nightwing series. Scott McDaniel did the cover for issue four. Greg Land did the interiors. So... Um, Bruno Redondo, connecting all the way back to Brian Stelfreeze. All right, back to the episode. Anyway, this Nightwing series, really great. He is back in a costume that most people like, so that's cool. Um, speaking of Nightwing, we got Robin and Batman, issue number three. I actually got issue number one as well because it didn't come in a previous shipment, so this is Jeff Lemire and Dustin Nguyen, prestige miniseries, three-issue miniseries. A retelling of sorts from Robin's point of view with his early time uh, with Batman. So we'll see how that plays out. I have Flash 777 featuring Justice League Dark, Eclipso, and also the whole reason why I've been getting this issue and previous issues, uh, it has Amethyst. Amethyst and the Gem World, and in this issue, even Dark Opal. So this storyline has been going on since uh, Flash 775, and just casually looking through it, are they trying to make a connection between e the Black Diamond of Eclipso and Gem World? Because, you know, that would make sense to me. Uh, Flash, is, Flash is one of those books, I don't read it regularly, but they managed to find ways to pull me in. So I collected the storyline for this volume that led up to issue 50, and then the Heroes in Crisis tie-in issues. Then after that, there was uh, a Flash Year One story, another Flash Year One story, and then the opening arc for this volume of, uh, you know, when they went to the renumbering or the legacy numbering back into the 700s, um, the opening arc for the DC Frontier push featured Wally, and I got that, and now I'm getting this, you know. So it's like I constantly kind of dip my toes back into Flash. And then uh, Justice League versus the Legion of Superheroes, issue number one of six. No doubt Eric and I will have things to say about this on a future Tales of the Legion Project podcast episode. We may not get to it for a while, though. Um, which is okay, because I am still reading the Bendis run 
Um, that is on my to read soon pile. So once I finish that, I know we have plans to cover the Bendis run on the Legion project. And then eventually uh, we'll get into this. Uh, casually flipping through it, there is not a lot of verses going on. There's some meeting going on, but not a lot of verses. So, um, And then a recent issue of Suicide Squad, number 11, with a variant cover by John Boy Myers, featuring Ambush Bug, front and center, including Cheeks the Toy Wonder. This was a no-brainer for me. So it's a little bit of a quieter month in terms of what I got. Nothing monumental, nothing uh, that I really want to rush out to talk about. Um, but it was kind of charming to just open up the package and just seeing a stack of comics. So yay! Yay, comics. I love your accent. American women all love accents. We do, because we don't got none. <laughs> The Best of 2021, Part 3. This is the third listener-provided category, taking a look at comics or the comics world in 2021. This is the second category nominated by John Griggis, and John writes in, what is the most faithful depiction of a comic book character in a show movie, TV, live theater, audiobook, animated piece, etc. Faithful can either mean closest depiction of the character as currently portrayed in the comics or the original version of a character. Now, knowing full well that I am still catching up on a lot of my superhero shows, I'm going to play this one kind of loose, you know. Uh, I'm behind on the CW shows, probably seasons behind, uh, I've only ever, I, I think I've only seen two episodes of Stargirl. I did finish Falcon and Winter Soldier, so I can continue watching all of the Marvel stuff in order. Haven't seen Pennyworth, Invincible, Sweet Tooth. The new Superman and Lois season has begun, and I can't wait to jump into that. But I did have an answer for this category, as silly as it's going to be. Even though I didn't care for the movie, I never thought I would see Javelin, the character of Javelin in live action from the old Len Wein, Dave Gibbons, Green Lantern run. Uh, they had just started with issue 172 in late 1983. That was the issue where Hal Jordan petitions the Guardians to allow him to travel back to Earth after an extended tour of duty in space. And then you get to issue 173, and it's the character's first appearance of Javelin with all of his trick Javelins, including one that spurts out yellow, I don't know, goop, and covers Hal Jordan, and of course he falls to his death. Um, he had a thick German dialect, you know, that, that comic book German dialect that they love to do. Uh, he had that. So in the Suicide Squad movie, we had Flula Borg, who was born in West Germany. The costume was fairly similar, you know, definitely in the coloring of yellow and blue. I don't know why that character, it's not like he's a favorite character of mine, but it speaks to me just because I did really like that Ween uh, Gibbons run on Green Lantern, and uh, you know that that's where I was introduced to it. It was it was a title that um, really spoke to me as a kid because it was one of the first ones that I collected 
um, pretty continuously. So the javelin, I got to give my nod to the javelin. Uh, you know, I don't know how faithful it is, but you get a German actor to play him. You kind of got the same color scheme. He had javelins. Um, it meant something to the movie in the larger run. So sure, sure. I'm going with javelin. I have a few other honorable mentions here. Even though I have not seen Doom Patrol, I think casting Michelle Gomez in the role of Madame Rouge is just brilliant, uh, especially because of mostly because of her facial features and, and what she looks like. And I really like her as an actress as well. Uh, I never thought I would see Eclipso. There's a live action Eclipso on Stargirl. Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop on Hawkeye. I really like Haley Steinfeld. I, I, I haven't seen it, but I can't really speak to the authenticity. I don't think that's a bad choice, though. And uh, I do have to say, in the first season of Superman and Lois, uh, if you haven't seen it, you really should, because just having... Oh, I don't even want to say it now, because it might spoil it for you. But having one of the supporting Superman characters show up on that TV show, and you're going to know which one once you see it, uh, was, a, was a nice surprise and uh, I, I was really kind of glad to see that they incorporated that character. So there you go. Thank you, John. Thank you, John, for another fun suggestion for Best of 2021. <laughs> New Comics Wednesday. Recommendations for the week of January 26th. We start with from Ablaze Publishing, Cocaine Coast Hardcover for $19.99. This is by Luis Bustos, Nacho Carretero. Uh, a true story, an expose on drug trafficking in Europe. This is also apparently a Netflix show, which you can see right now. Uh, they call it Scarface Meets Narcos. So Cocaine Coast is the true story of how a sleepy, unassuming corner of Spain became the cocaine gateway into Europe from Colombia, exposing a new generation of criminals, cartels, and corrupt officials more efficient and ruthless than any who came before. They are calling this a docu-graphic novel, with lots of action and adventure about the violent past, present, and future of drug trafficking in Europe. From DC Comics, we have Mr. Miracle, The Great Escape by Varian Johnson, art by Daniel Isles, a.k.a. Dirty Robot, $16.99. This is one of those young reader books that they used to call DC Inc. And this is about Scott Free, wanting nothing more than to leave Apocalypse for planet Earth, and he knows exactly how to do it. But his plan never involved falling in love with the head of the female Furies. Big Barda is the one person tasked with ensuring that he never escapes. The story of an escape plan that will take a miracle to pull off. Luckily for Scott, everyone calls him Mr. Miracle. 
From Franographics, we have Illustrating Spain in the U.S., a hardcover for $24.99. It's a combination of comics and essays that shed light on the rich but often overlooked contributions of Spanish immigrations or of Spanish immigrants to the political, cultural, and scientific history of the U.S. And this is put together by some of Spain's most acclaimed cartoonists and scholars. Stories feature the historical figure of Bernardo de Galvez, who played a crucial role in the Revolutionary War, Spanish actors, screenwriters, and musicians who broke into Hollywood and made their mark on American, American cinema, and the labyrinthine history of Spanish art collecting in the U.S. and the influence of Spanish art on popular American art movements, and much more. From Marvel, we have the Marvel's Trade Paperback, Volume 1, War in Sien Kong, and this is by Kurt Busiek, Yildire Sinar, covers by Alex Ross, and this is a story that crosses all over the Marvel Universe. It spans decades, and it ranges from cosmic adventure to human drama to street level to the far reaches of space, starring literally anyone from Marvel's very first heroes to the superstars of Tomorrow, and this features characters such as Captain America, Spider-Man, Punisher, Human Torch, Black Cat, The Golden Age Vision, Melinda May, Arrow, Iron Man, Iron Man, and so many more, as well as some new characters such as Kevin Schumer and the mysterious Threadneedle, and who or what is Kashum? And this is collecting the first five issues, $17.99. Now, one of the reasons why I wanted to give that a nod is because uh, in the next month or so, you're going to hear another episode on the Resurrections podcast, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast by Al Sedano, where Al and I talk about Cian Kong within the Marvel history when we take a look at the second issue of History of the Marvel Universe. So when that finally releases, I will let you know, and uh, there will be a nice little connection back to this. All right, that's it. Oh, one more, sorry, almost forgot. have to read my notes here. Saga, Saga 55, makes its return this week, starting over once again an oversized issue for only $2.99. So if you're a Saga fan and you didn't know that the issue was the, the series was back, it is back. Brian K. Vaughn, Fiona Staples, all the wacky cast of characters once again return to uh, Saga. So if you didn't know, go check it out. All right, that's it. Those are your recommendations for this week. I don't have time for games, Wolverine. Good, because I ain't playing any. You boys are having so much fun. The Daily Reads Thursday. All new, all different X-Men Part Five. So this is my ongoing journey to read the, uh, that was the floor creaking, by the way, just in case anybody gets any thoughts. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so I'm reading the X-Men from Giant Size X-Men all the way through uh, probably up to where John Romita Jr. takes over because that was the X-Men that I was reading in the 80s. So we're talking Cockrum and Byrne and then Cockrum again and then Paul Smith with a whole bunch of other artists in the middle. Um, and I've done other segments uh, and leading us up to the last segment, 
whenever that was, which was uh, X-Men 108, which was the first time John Byrne would draw the book. And I thought, okay, great. Now I'm in the Byrne era, right? So I'm going to continue on with X-Men 109, which features uh, the first appearance of Weapon Alpha. But then I realized, wait, I did some research and I was like, oh, you know, I should probably read this new group of X-Men as they travel throughout the Marvel Universe. And a lot of these extraneous, uh, you know, tangent issues happen before we even get to burn on the X-Men. So I was like, all right, I need to start there. So I thought, um, I was doing the research. I was like, okay, obviously I got to read Marvel Team Up King Size Annual Number 1 and, with you know, Spider-Man and the X-Men. And then uh, as I was going through that, I realized, oh, you know, they have a brief appearance in Marvel Team Up Issue Number 53. And that issue... Uh, which eventually will feature the Hulk, um, that's the first time Byrne drew the X-Men before issue 108 of X-Men. Because Marvel Team-Up 53 takes place between the release of X-Men 102 and 103. And um, Byrne was on the Marvel Team-Up book for a while. So he gets to draw the X-Men for a few pages here in that issue. So I was like, okay. And it takes place right after the annual. So I read Marvel Team-Up number 53. Then come to find out, that's a multi-part story. You got to read Marvel Team-Up 54 with the Hulk, Marvel Team-Up 55 with Adam Warlock. And it's one big story from the annual before Spider-Man ever makes his way back to New York. Now, I didn't read issues 54 and 55. I will some point, but not for this segment since they don't feature the X-Men. So as I'm reading those issues, I realize there's, you know, there's a little foot footnote that Spider-Man and Nightcrawler had met before. So I was like, all right, what issues are those? Amazing Spider-Man 161 and 162, which also also features the Punisher. Uh, and those issues are released between X-Men, X-Men 94 and 95. So that's really early within the new X-Men's, um, you know, appearance within the Marvel Universe. So... All of these uh, issues I read for this particular segment because uh, it gives me a way to talk about the X-Men as they connect to the larger Marvel Universe. I do know that I have to read a few issues of Iron Fist, also drawn by Byrne, which feature the X-Men, and then eventually I'll get to back to X-Men 109. So let's go in order here. Um, I tried to get my hands on Foom number 10, which came out in 1975, and, oh, I'm sorry, Foom number 10 came out between X-Men 94 and 95, so I wanted to get, like, see if there was some articles scanned online, just to see some early buzz about, um, you know, this new team of characters and Dave Cockrum, but I, I, I found some things, but uh, I didn't find a complete article just yet, so if anybody has Foom 10 and they want to share that that info with me, please do. Then we go to Amazing Spider-Man 161 and 162. This is from 1976. These issues came out between X-Men 100 and 102. That makes a little more sense. Um, it's Spider-Man and Nightcrawler in a case of, you know, mistaken identities. Of course, they have to battle. Um, there's a sniper that is shooting people, killing people. 
and doing it in a style like the Punisher to try to frame the Punisher. And Nightcrawler thinks Spider-Man is the killer. Spider-Man thinks Nightcrawler is the killer. They battle. They come across uh, the Punisher who, you know, eventually they figure out, okay, none of the three did it. And we meet the person who is behind all of the killings, and it's Jigsaw. Jigsaw, a, a you know, a major Punisher villain making his first appearance in Amazing Spider-Man 162, which I did not know. The two issues were written by Len Wein, with Ross Andrew on the art, Mike Esposito on inks, colors by Glynis Wein, and 161 had letters by Irving Watanabe, and on 162, the letters were by John Costanza. 161 has a cover by Gil Kane and John Romita, uh, John Romita Sr., and uh, 162 has a cover by Ross Andrew. It is interesting to see the Ross Andrew artwork because I think I'm more familiar with Andrew on, you know, various Superman issues. So I saw some artwork where I was like, yeah, that that feels very Ross Andrew-like. Now, I am not a big Spider-Man reader during this era, so I don't know where this all fits in, right? I don't know... In the grand scheme of things, scheme of things, you know, is this a high point for the Spider-Man comics? Is it just a mid-ground? Peter is at Empire State University at this point, still working with the Daily Bugle. Um, Gwen Stacy has had died a long time ago, so you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where we're at here. I mean, he's still running around with Mary Jane Watson and Flash Thompson and Harry Osborn and Liz Allen, I think. Uh, yeah, so, um, you know, this is where we're at. So, uh, if I focus on the X-Men stuff, um, you know, Len Wein, back, uh, writing characters that he helped to develop, okay, uh, the first time we see them is in a danger room sequence, and of course they are arguing, Wolverine and Nightcrawler are arguing, and Colossus has to step between them, and, uh, you know, if we're talking between X-Men 100 and 102, that's still the role that Wolverine was playing, that he inherited, I guess, from Sunfire and Thunderbird, that he is to be the instigator. And he's certainly playing it off here. Um, I was hoping that they were going to make a little bit more about the similarities between Spider-Man and Nightcrawler, which they do. They talk about the agility and how Nightcrawler can use his three-toed feet to scale walls and beams just like Spider-Man can. And, um, you know, Spider-Man is a wall crawler. Nightcrawler is a nightcrawler. <laughs> you know, things like that. I was like, okay, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, you're taking, I guess, arguably the most popular character, the most popular X-Men character at that time. Certainly that's what Cockrum wanted. Um, and putting them in a Spider-Man book so that people can then go, you know, they can publicize it and then go, okay, now go read X-Men, which is only shipping bi-monthly. And Spider-Man probably had, what, I don't know, two or three different books at this point. So uh, I get it. I get it. I, I, I can understand why they used Nightcrawler out of all of them. One of the things that Nightcrawler mentions is that uh, when he battles Spider-Man, he realizes that Spider-Man was taking pictures, so he needs to go back after him to get the pictures, because at this point, nobody really knows about the existence of uh, a new X-Men. In 162, obviously all of the mistaken identities get resolved, and they 
confront Jigsaw and the three of them, you know, manage to save the day. Uh, there's some confusing stuff in there. Nightcrawler pretends to be one of Jigsaw's people, I think, but but it looks oddly similar to a character that Spider-Man finds in an alleyway, but that character attacks Spider-Man. I don't know. It's a little it was a little jumpy here and there. But as the first appearance of Jigsaw and to see a Punisher where you know, Spider-Man is sort of ambivalent about what kind of person he is, whether he is a hero, whether he is a villain, uh, seeing the little war journal captions or seeing the, the war wagon. I mean, that was kind of fun. This is also in issue 162, the first appearance of Marla Madison, who JJ, J. Jonah Jameson comes to meet and I guess eventually they get married or something like that. So... Um, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, did I have to read the, if I, if I skipped it, I wouldn't have really missed anything, but I understand its place because it's the first meeting of Spider-Man and Nightcrawler. And as I said, it's a way to get those characters within the larger Marvel universe. One other thing I want to mention, because I've been talking about this in random X-Men issues when it comes to say Cyclops's attitude towards Jean Grey. And sometimes, you know, being overly aggressive towards her. Where there's a part here in um, Amazing Spider-Man 161. Peter, MJ, and the gang are at um, Coney Island and they're riding a roller coaster. And Peter is doing his best Clark Kent impression and being, you know, sick and scared and all that stuff. So MJ, I guess, threat says something like, oh, do you want to go back on? And he says, oh, you want a fat lip, Miss Watson? And I was like, what? Whoa, what's with all the male violence in the in the seventies towards uh, the female characters? You know, you know, Cyclops is grabbing Jean Grey and calling her a you little, and Professor X is back wanting to backhand Cyclops in one episode, uh, one issue of the X Men, and here's Peter Parker, you know, casually just saying, you know, oh, you want me to punch you, Miss? I was like, whoa, okay, Peter, slow down there. All right, let's go then to uh, Marvel Team-Up, the King Size Annual number one. So this is a few months after the Amazing Spider-Man issues, and uh, this is between X-Men 102 and 103. This is all under a cover by Dave Cockrum. United in battle, Spider-Man and the X-Men, united in battle against the awesome creations of the Lords of Light and Darkness. This is a plot by Bill Mantlow and Claremont and Bonnie Wilford. And you have Sal Basima and Mike Esposito on art and Jim Novak on letters, Hugh Paley on colors. Archie Goodwin is the editor. And this is about Spider-Man and the X-Men coming across a group of scientists who have been... Um, possessed, for lack of a better word, from deities from Hindu, from Hindu mythology. So you have characters like Yama Dharma, the Keeper of the Dead, Kali, the Black Madness, Brahma, the Creator, Mara, the Dreamer, Dreamer Shiva, the Destroyer, etc., etc. Um, it's funny because during all of my George Perez Twitter celebrations, I came across a Marvel team-up portfolio that Marvel produced, I think somewhere around 80, 80, in the early 80s. And one of the plates is Spider-Man and the X-Men 
against these lords of light and darkness as drawn by George Perez, even though he didn't do the issue. He did the portfolio art. And I thought they were kind of a cool um, set of characters. And from what I can gather, they don't ever... They don't ever appear again after this annual. Um, it's all a bunch of um, typical, you know, whenever whenever a human gets personified by a deity, they have to go after somebody to ground them. And what they do is they're going after Phoenix because of her power. And they want to use her as an anchor um, or else they're going to explode and take the Earth with it. And then what happens is the X-Men manage to find a way to send all of their energies into a into a far-off star, never to be seen again. And I wrote in my notes, wow, that's kind of a leftover story there. You know, all of those energies just swimming about in that star. They could make a return appearance, which would be kind of cool. Um the way Peter Parker and the X-Men meet in this issue is kind of strange. So he has met the X-Men before, the original Stan Lee, Jack Kirby X-Men, the original five. He's met them before, he's met Nightcrawler, and now he gets to meet all of the other ones, like Colossus and uh, Wolverine and Storm, uh, maybe Banshee, I'm not quite sure about that one, uh, but he has met the other ones. So they're on a conference on a plane that Reed Richards was was supposed to attend, but because Reed Richards couldn't attend, Reed suggested Professor X. The conference is the first international conference on man-made mutation. So that's why Professor X is there and he has his students around him. So Peter Parker meets them. Midway through the flight... Uh, the plane starts to go down and they, the X-Men and Peter Parker have to save the day. So Peter just like goes into a room or into the bathroom and changes and then suddenly appears on the plane. What? (laughs) And then of course the X-Men also do the same thing where they have to, you know, use their powers in front of everybody. Of course, by the end, Professor X mind wipes everybody so they don't know about the X-Men. But I think in the story, Professor X at least figures out that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, or maybe they all do. I don't remember. It just was very odd. Just Just an odd coincidental kind of thing. The whole reason the plane goes down in the first place is because there's this facility called The Nest in Nevada, where all of these scientists are and they're exploring, you know, different energies and, uh, you know, there's a special project going on and they have these robots called Rax, R-A-K-K. They look oddly like Nimrod before Nimrod ever existed. So that's kind of cool. And while they're messing around with some kind of like pile of rocks or whatever, that's where they then get possessed by all of these gods, all, all of these deities. And it's that explosion that causes the plane to go down. And then there's this like, you know, radiation field that the X-Men and Spider-Man have to go through and just to figure out, you know, what the heck, uh, what the heck is happening. You get a lot of X-Men stuff here, um, uh, you know, Wolverine again, in that sort of aggressive personality, going after Spider-Man, so the two of them don't get along, and, and you know, they have constant quips towards each other. It feels a little forced 
here and there. Professor X does reference the migraines that he's been having because of the approaching uh, journey from Lalandra, which then gets resolved within the whole X-Men meeting the Shi'ar uh, cast of characters, which I already talked about that. The way they wrap up the situation is a little odd. So they get in, into like a circle. They're, they are all holding hands. The energy of the gods, it's all ready to dissipate. And if it does, it's going to blow everybody up. So, you know, they figure out what to do. And Gene creates like a mental projection of the energies. And then Nightcrawler teleports that energy somewhere so that Cyclops can then zap it away into space. And I was like, wait, Nightcrawler can teleport energy? I mean, I know this story was kind of... was conceived co-conceived with Chris Claremont but is that a way to use his power okay I guess and then as I mentioned the the energies all get zapped into a star and and that's it and we never hear from them again I'm assuming anyway apparently this story was also reprinted in Marvel Tales 235 and 236 in 1990 with covers by Todd McFarlane so if you want to read the, uh, if you have those issues, you can read it through through the reprint. What other notes do I have here? The opening splash page looks a lot like the cover to Giant Size X-Men with a new X-Men running towards you. And there's this giant mushroom cloud behind them, right? Because they are the children of the atom. But it also means something to the larger story. So the way, oh, Gene, um... I don't know if you know, there's there, there there's a, a lot of fun memes about the X-Men animated series between Storm and Jean, always talking about how like Jean constantly just faints in that series. Well, in this issue, twice when something is going on, like when the ship starts to rattle and crash, she immediately is like, Scott, what's going on? Or like, Scott, you know, as if Scott is going to know, like he's there. How is he going to know? Any different than what you're going to know. You're the telepath, you know. And there's another time in the book, too, where she's like, Scott, what's happening? And it's like, Gene, do something. Wow. Uh, you know, her fainting in the X-Men animated series all the time and people making fun of it now, there's precedence. I, I thought, I was like, okay, you're the phoenix now. You do something. So that was weird. It's not a bad issue, though. I mean, I read it and I was like, okay, there it is. There's the meeting of... Peter Parker, Spider-Man, and the new X-Men. As I mentioned, it then, it then connects a little bit to Marvel Team-Up 53, the very next Marvel Team-Up issue, uh, also coming out uh, near the end of 76. And it takes place right after the annual. The X-Men are giving Spider-Man a ride all the way from Nevada to the East Coast, but they don't get very far because uh, the Hulk is making an appearance in New Mexico, so Spider-Man has to go help or figure out what's going on the character of wood god also makes an appearance in this issue and in next issue really this ep this issue as i mentioned is all about john byrne drawing the x-men for the first time and you can see it i think when i look at cyclops there's a double page spread of them flying in a ship and i look at cyclops and i'm like okay there's john byrne and then i look a little bit at like gene and storm and i'm like okay there's some john byrne and i'm not sure if maybe the inking by Frank uh, Giacoa, it might be stealing some of Burns' vibes because they 
they tend to come out a little stronger in the next two Marvel team-up issues. I mean, we're at a time in comics where even if you have a penciler from issue to issue, it doesn't mean that the inker is going to stay the same. So there are a lot of differences issue to issue. But it's there. You can see it. And obviously, the X-Men showing up in this issue is a promo for people to go check out the annual, obviously. In terms of the X-Men, all of these issues feel exactly like they are right now, where they are a team, but they have differences and they argue. Um, and they're just being introduced to the Marvel Universe at large. So I look forward to reading more issues. So I will read those Iron Fist issues, and then I will read X-Men 109, at, at least X-Men 109, because it is the f um, first appearance of Weapon Alpha, the second John Byrne issue on the X-Men. And as I was flipping through it, I thought, wow, more so than John Byrne's first issue, this one this one really feels like John Byrne. Like, I, as I talked about in the last segment to the Daily Reads, whenever that was, X-Men 108, even though it was John Byrne, at, because it was the last chapter of that Shi'ar saga, I felt like Byrne was still channeling a lot of Dave Cockrum. Well, as I look at X-Men 109, it's like, oh, this is Byrne. This is definitely Byrne. So I look forward to continuing. All right, there you go. That's your Daily Reads segment for this Thursday. Wrap it up. I'll take it. Wrap it up. I'll take it. Friday wrap-up. All right, so no doubt this uh, digest is going to be late because... Uh, as I talked about in one of my other digests, um, I just started my first week back uh, at a new semester at my school, and I don't know, you know, I was kind of lazy in those six weeks, so jumping back to seven classes in a week, seven 80-minute classes, plus all the commuting that I do and the winter cold um, kind of wiped me out this week. And even though I was working on the digest, there was no way I was going to get it done in time for the weekend. So I'm sure you're hearing this um, well after the weekend, but that's okay. So yeah, so it is a new semester. Uh, I talk about my school every now and then here. It it um, it actually was a good week, I have to say. Um, my particular program offers five different levels of TAP. I have seven different sections of, of the various levels. Two new groups of first-year students, getting to know them. That's always uh, an interesting time and a challenge. And seeing uh, returning students that maybe I haven't seen in a number of semesters. Getting a, a bunch of students from other programs to join my class. That's always fun. So, yeah, so it was a lot of fun. Uh, as I said, it kind of wore me out a little bit. I, I Even on my days off, I spent uh, the time resting not that I don't ever stop about podcasting and comics and all that good stuff, but um, it just, I, I knew it was going to, it just took a lot out of me. So, um, you know, I'm sure next week will be, will be better uh, and I'll be more on top of things. But, um, but I am watching stuff and I am, um, you know, reading some things. Um, I think I might've mentioned here and there that I am doing a big Star Wars watch and rewatch and I'm following the the story chronology, which means I went back to The Phantom Menace and then watched Attack of the Clones 
and then jumped to the Clone Wars movie, and now I am starting the Clone Wars animated um, series from the beginning. So, you know, in the movie, you met uh, the character of um, Ahsoka, and, uh, you know, I'm going to spend time... I guess, watching this Clone Wars series before I get back to any of the movies. And then I'm going to put in the other movies in story chronology as well. Uh, And then eventually, I assume, get to the original trilogy, quote-unquote the original trilogy, throw in all this, you know, Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett and whatever. Um, Just because there's enough content there to kind of map out and see how it grows, and knowing that, yes, I know that um, some of the later stories are going to conflict with some of the earliest things that have been produced, but that's okay. So that's something that I'm doing now. Um, Along with that, uh, I am back to catching up on Titans. I'm about five or six episodes into that, so that I can talk about that third season very briefly, because I just don't want to give it more due um, because I'm not enjoying it, right? And uh, so so there'll be just some discussion about that. We're coming up on a new month, a new month of February, so I will be doing a Timeline Tuesday. I want to do another George Perez celebration. I have people in mind for this third one. But if you want to get in on the fun, talking about George Perez, send me an email so I can include you in March or beyond. It's been a, an interesting winter. Um, I can't say I did all that much. I think I talked about this before. I, I tried to do as much as I wanted to do, and I didn't want to overwhelm myself. I think physically I could have done more, um, but it's been a cold winter, and uh, that makes me very lazy. It makes me want to hibernate. So I'm looking forward to some nicer weather, even though I'm, I know we're going to come up on some nasty weather soon, but that's okay. Um how are you all doing during all of this? Uh, how are you doing at this beginning of a new year, 20, 2022, right? Um, a lot of expectations, uh, a lot of still limit li- living in limbo here and there, getting a little restless about some things, but that's okay. I'm saying that a lot, right? You gotta, you gotta blow these things off. Just gotta blow it off, blow it off, and just continue and just continue and communicate and uh, you can do that with me. You can communicate with me, Peter at thedailyrios.com, or leave a comment on the website, The Daily Rios. Uh, by all means, you know, talk to me over on Twitter, Peter J. Rios. I'm having fun dumping just a bunch of stuff about George Perez on there every day, getting some good traction on some of those um, posts, which is kind of fun. I hope you are continuing to enjoy. The Daily Rios Digest format, I still like it, even though, uh, you know, sometimes I'm like, hmm, was that enough? You know, was 30 minutes, 35 minutes or whatever, was that enough content for five days? Eh, you know, what am I going to do? You know, I can't, they're not, they can't all be, you know, hour long marathons or else I'll just never get them done. So hopefully you are enjoying them. All right, this has been The Daily Rios, episode 545, the 30th Digest for Sunday, January 30th, 2022. Talk to you soon. I'm at your service, Master Kenobi, but I'm afraid I've actually been assigned to Master Skywalker. What? No, 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 no. There must be some mistake. He's the one who wanted the Padawan. No. 
Master Yoda was very specific. I'm assigned to Anakin Skywalker, and he is to supervise my Jedi training. <laughs>